0: Restrictions may apply. Plans and costs for coverage may vary. Call Protect My Car for details. In these hard economic times, you've got to do whatever you can to save money. One of our biggest expenses can be our cars, especially when unexpected repair bills hit. Not anymore. If you do own a car, truck, or SUV made from 1999 or higher, you could stop paying for car repairs. That's right. You might not have to pay a penny to have it repaired. Just dial star star one one four nine on your mobile phone now to see if you qualify. You must have an automobile made from 1999 or higher, and all. Repairs for your engine, transmission, and much more can become a thing of the past. Dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone today and get your car protected before your next repair bill hits. That's right, total protection for your car and no more repair bills. Just dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone now to see if your car qualifies. That's star star 1149. Never pay for car repairs again. Just dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone now. Dial star star 1149. media group proudly present to you the lone gunman podcast featuring sure your host rob clark where research comes to shine and myths come to die stay tuned be right there Well, well, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is episode 145 of the Lone Gummin' Podcast, and I'm your host, Rob Clark. I must be a glutton for punishment, people. I don't know why I do this to myself sometimes. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. What's up? Happy to be back on the air with you guys. What I'm referring to, uh... (laughs) I'm sure some of you've heard me rant on this show before about the antics of some certain lone nutters out there in Facebook land and about one group in particular that I've been that I joined and then I left because of their antics and then I was lured back under false pretenses only to be ridiculed and attacked and which I left again. Well here recently I was lured back for a third time. And this was under the premise that people were wondering about my opinions on Buell Wesley Frazier. Well, for those of you who don't know my opinions on Buell Wesley Frazier, please feel free to head back to my catalog. Um, Did a show last year Clark on Frazier on Ocelli And uh, I went on Chuck's show And for two hours uh, We talked about Bill Wesley Frazier I've covered him at least two other times I think on my show And the reason That I think that he is so important To finally understanding Or possibly understanding What could have happened that day On November 22nd, 1963 is because he brought Oswald to work that day. Okay? He is the only person in the world who knows whether or not Lee Oswald brought a rifle to work that day. Period. End of discussion. We can argue it till the end of time, but this guy is the only person that knows for sure one way or the other. The problem comes into this. Back on November 22nd, after the assassination, after Oswald is arrested, they come looking for Buell Frazier because the, everybody they talked to at work said, well, this guy was his, his friend. He brought him to work all the time. They wanted to talk to him. They went and picked him up and they brought him back to the police station. They interrogated him. They threatened him. According to Frazier... He was being asked to sign a confession to being an accomplice to Lee Oswald. Just because of the apparent connection that, th- that these two had. Now, anyone in this similar position, myself included, you know, when being a- attached to the murderer of the President of the United States. Of course you want to going to distance yourself from them as much as possible. Hey, I barely knew the guy, we barely talked, I only gave him a ride when when he asked me to or on the weekends. When we talked, we never really talked about anything other than the weather or it's a nice day, in not it Lee? Blah 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 blah. Okay? I would do the same thing. But according to all of Oswald's co workers, Basically, the only friend that they said that Oswald or Frazier had was each other. These were the only people that they talked to. They were both order pickers in the school book depository, which means they had the same job, basically. So they would have been working together a lot. They would have seen each other a lot throughout the days of working there. They would have talked. On these car rides to and from, they would have talked about stuff other than the weather, okay? I think we can all agree on both sides that Oswald liked to appear important to other people. He liked to think that what he was doing with his life was exciting and important. And if you think for a second that he wouldn't have been Telling Frazier tales of what he'd already accomplished in his life. You're, you're crazy. I mean, this guy had already been in the Marine Corps. He'd already been to Japan. He'd been to California. He lived in Russia. He'd seen England, all of Europe. He traveled on a boat across the ocean. He had come back with a Russian wife. And if you think for a second that Frazier, this little country bumpkin, 19-year-old country bumpkin from Huntsville, Texas, wouldn't have been enamored with the stories that Lee told him and thought Lee was the greatest thing since sliced bread, you're crazy. Now, you've got to remember, these two guys were very similar in age. I mean, we're talking a five-year age difference. That's it. That's it. You know, these guys were close in age. They both liked, you know, hunting, shooting their guns. I mean, this is, they weren't really interested in going out drinking and chasing women and all this stuff back then. They kind of had the same interests. And Frazier had a car. It wasn't the greatest car, but it was a car nonetheless. Now, I've run across many... Many interviews from the HSCA of Oswald's coworkers, who said, and I'm gauging anywhere between six and seven of them, that Frazier brought Oswald to work all the time, not just on the weekends. Okay, and we're only talking a mile and a half out of Frazier's way to pick Oswald up for work. Now I've, I created this giant thread. And, and fair play for JFK, explaining why I think Buell Frazier has been lying all these years. And like I said, we've had all these witnesses from the HSCA. The problem is, okay, where these interviews come from, they're not in the final report of the HSCA. They're not on History Matters. They're not on Mary Farrell. They're in the archives. They were obtained by a researcher named Richard Gilbride, who I've had on this show before. Okay. And who housed them, he uploaded them to reopenkennedycase.org. Now this is now a defunct website. It no longer exists. Therefore, everything that he uploaded, all of his all of his interviews and his his transcripts are gone unless somebody out there has them and downloaded them from the site. So, this is an open call. If anybody out there managed to save any of Richard Gilbride's HSCA transcripts, from the interviews of Oswald's co-workers, the Dallas cops, um, any of that stuff out there, send it to the Lone Podcast at gmail.com just shoot me over a a link to download the files or shoot me the files themselves, I would appreciate it because they've been lost to history. Um, So to maintain my position, you know, it's hard to argue with people when I don't have the documents to back them up. That's why I'm asking. And according to Richard Gilbride, these were all obtained at NARA, the National Archives, transcribed from audio-taped interviews with the co-workers like Junior Jarman, Harold Norman, Charles Givens, Edward Shields, Billy Lovelady, Frazier himself. Now, we all know that Frazier had four tapes of interviews. Two of them were completely unlistenable, according to Gilbride. The other two are very garbled and very hard to understand and make out and transcribe. Uh, but Gilbride did his best using text-to-speech software and his own ears. You know, he let the uh, software do it first, and he went back and re-listened and and tried to see if he could make it any better than what a computer program could 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 make it out to be. And, you know, it's very hard when you read these to take any of it seriously. But there are some gems that stick out to you when you do read it. And one of them being this little gem from Fraser, who was being interviewed by Moriarty, an investigator for the HSCA. Fraser says, No, I didn't know that he'd been caught. But I will tell you, I knew that he hid the rifle. Now this translation could be hid or had. Okay, keep that in mind. I knew that he hid or I knew that he had the rifle. This is Fraser saying this. Moriarty says, Mm-hmm. Fraser said he did. And I said to myself, I said, Oh my God. That was the first thing right there on the steps. I also knew that I didn't want to get pulled in. Moriarty says, Mm-hmm. Now that, to me, folks, is what I call a gem, <laughs> okay? I mean, you can you can argue with me about the gobbledygook about the rest of this transcription, but sometimes parts of it are very clear what they say. Now, people say, oh, well, Rob, you know, you're a conspiracy guy. Why are you trying to prove that Oswald had a rifle and that he took it to work that day? I just want the truth You know And if the truth is that Oswald brought a rifle To work that day Then I want to know Okay And just because Oswald Brought a rifle to work that day Does not mean that he was on the Sixth floor shooting that Rifle Okay, That's a whole other problem That we're going to get into today But The first problem we need to address is, did Oswald bring a rifle to work that day? Now, many, many times I've argued, okay, and the whole thing about breaking the rifle down was a Warren Commission construct in order to try to fit this rifle, this Carcano, into a smaller package because Buell Wesley Frazier swears swears up and down and he's been saying it for 50 years that the package that Oswald had that day was about 2 feet long which is 24 inches which is a big problem for the Warren Commission because you can't fit a 40 inch rifle in a 24 inch bag Okay. and here's what I maintain as a hunter which Frazier was as a rifle owner as Fraser was. Fraser owned a, a 303 infield uh, rifle. I contend, okay, that as a hunter and a rifle owner, okay, a gun case can come in various things. It can come in a leather bag, it can come in a canvas bag, it can come in a hard shell case. Okay? A gun in a hard shell case, pretty recognizable. A gun in a leather bag, pretty recognizable. A gun in a canvas bag, pretty recognizable. A 40-inch rifle wrapped in a paper bag on your back seat of your car is pretty recognizable. A hunter and a rifle owner, even if you can't see what is in the package. The length and the shape, and just the way someone handles it. It's pretty recognizable what it is. Okay, and people are like, yeah, but he told Oswald, or he told he told Frazier he needed to go home and get curtain rods. And I asked him what was in the package. Lee says, just curtain rods. Remember, I told you. I need them for my apartment. Again, the curtain rod story comes from nobody except for Fraser. Now if you believe Frazier was telling the truth about the length of the package then it wasn't a gun period end of discussion if you even if you believe he was just mistaken I don't know how you can mistake <laughs> okay uh, uh, another foot or so a foot and a couple inches of a package You know, you have to believe that, that if you believe that, then you have to believe that Frazier's telling the truth about the curtain rod story. Now, in custody after Oswald is arrested, after they talked to Buell Frazier, Oswald, who told the Dallas police many, many things about his life and about what he's done in his life, Denied telling Frazier that the package contained anything except his lunch. He denied the curtain rod story. You know, if, if Frazier truly had nothing to do with anything, why wouldn't Oswald have said, yeah, yeah, I told him it was curtain rods. You know, or he knew it was a rifle. But no, he denied telling Fraser that he needed to go home because of curtain rot. Oswald denied anything having to do with killing the president or J.D. Tippett that day. So it's understandable, one could argue, that he would have lied about the package. But here's my supposition. The rifle would not have been broken down to save any space whatsoever. The Carcano rifle was a carbine. It had a very, very long stock and a very, very short barrel. The barrel extended from the stock maybe three or four inches. You're not going to break a rifle down into all these pieces to make it easier to fit in a smaller bag just to save a couple inches. It just makes no sense whatsoever. In doing so, you're going to screw up your sighting and everything else. And that's if, you know, you can get the rifle back together again. And according to the Warren Commission, there was no tools found on the sixth floor that Oswald could accomplish this with. And they speculated that he did it with a dime, which is ridiculous on its own face. So let's expel that little myth of of the rifle being broken down. So if this rifle, this Carcano carbine rifle, was in a package then the package had to be, had to be, at least almost 40 inches long. And the bag that they took out of the school book depository appeared to be that long. Okay? No two-foot bag was ever found in the school book depository. Okay? Frazier is the only person who states a two-foot bag. He is the only person. Yet no two-foot bag was found in the school book depository. Yet we do have a very large bag capable of accommodating a rifle being taken out of the school book depository. Now we can argue if this was planted by the cops, if the, there was there was copy bags made that we know of by the Dallas police for Buell. Frazier to inspect and uh, give his opinion on the paper type and this, that, and the other. But the fact remains, no two-foot bag was found in the school book depository. Also, no curtain rods were found in the school book depository. No curtain rods were missing from Ruth Payne's garage or house. There was some found there. No curtain rods were found at Lee's apartment on Beckley. So we have no curtain rods found. We have no two-foot bag. So why do people still think after all these years that Buell Fraser is actually telling the truth when it comes to that? I mean, I've lost friends over the supposition that I think that fraser has been lying all these years. But why wouldn't he? He has to. He has to maintain his story. Or he would be outed as a liar back then. You know, is it possible, is it so hard to believe that a 19-year-old kid would make up a story to save his own ass? You know, and, and supposing that he really didn't even know what Oswald was bringing a rifle to work that day for. Oswald could have told him anything he could have said well i'm bringing it to work cuz so and so wanted to see it or i'm bringing it to, i'm bringing it to work because so and so wants to buy it or i'm bringing it to work cuz after work i'm going to take it over to the to the to the gun shop and get get it sighted in or get it repaired or you know i, I just want to have it with me in dallas because i like to go shooting sometimes and you know blah 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 it could have been a variety of different reasons that he told Frazier, yeah i got this rifle and I'm bringing it to work. It could have been as simple as that. It, there could have been no sinister things going on whatsoever, as far as Fraser's knowledge of anything that was going to happen that day. And I don't think there was. I don't think Lee had this rifle, and he said, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna, you know, the president's supposed to drive by today. I got this. I figured I'd bring my rifle and shoot him in the head." You know, I don't think that conversation took place. But I maintain that a hunter and a rifle owner would know what a rifle in a bag looks like, regardless if it's a paper bag, a canvas bag, a leather bag, or a hard shell case. Period. End of discussion. A rifle has a very distinct length, width, and shape. And the way you handle a package like that, a gun wrapped in a paper or canvas or leather or hard shell you handle it a certain way and fraser would have known being a gun owner and a hunter and been around guns all his life he would have known according to the length and shape of the package what was in the bag there would be no mistaken length there would not be wouldn't be a mistaken for a bundle of curtain rods It's just ridiculous, and the way he states Oswald carried this rifle, cupped in his hand and up under his armpit, it would not have fit. Even if it was a rifle, it would not have fit. So we're left with a conundrum, and we're left with the fact that one person knows the truth at least about one aspect of what happened that day. And according to all of Fraser's co-workers, he was a much better friend to Oswald than what we're being led to believe here. Like I said, according to no less than six or seven of his co-workers, he brought Oswald to work every day. Why is there no reason to doubt this story? Well, you know, they seem to be able to dig up a lot of stuff on Oswald after the fact. Every little aspect of his life, even on the so-called flight from the schoolbook depository, they found the cab driver. They gave him a ride. They found the bus driver. They gave him a ride. They found. They talked to people on the bus, supposedly that saw him on the bus. But one or a couple aspects of people that would have maybe had some relevant stories about Oswald you never, ever hear about. People say, oh, well, there was a bus stop right across from his rooming house. That's how he got to work. He rode the bus. Okay, well, if Oswald rode the bus every day, and everybody knows that Oswald is a stingy, penny-pinching kind of dude, yet he has a friend with a car who probably offered because he's a nice guy? Hey man, it's not really too far out of my way to come over here and pick you up every morning, you know. It, you know, would you like me to do that for you? You know, it's really not not a problem, not you know not a big deal. Lee probably would have been like, sure, that's awesome, you know. Thinking, hey, it'll save me some bus fare. But what we don't have, okay, for the six weeks leading up to from when he got the job and started living at Beckley. We do not have any testimony from the bus driver who drove that route, who picked Oswald up every morning from that uh, bus stop across from the rooming house on Beckley at the corner of Zang. Where's that bus driver that drove the assassin of the president to work every day for six weeks? Well, not every day, but you know, you know what I'm saying, most of the days. For six weeks Where's all the passengers Who regularly rode the bus With the accused assassin of the president The man that shot JFK Where's all these people Because when you ride Bus riders know People that ride a bus They don't have a car It's the only way they get to work And there's a routine There's a set pattern That certain times Certain buses come through And you're going to be riding the bus With the same people every day so where's all these people that actually allegedly rode the bus or sat next to or talked to the killer of the president for six weeks? I've never heard from one. What about what about the bus route on the way home at the end of the day? It likely would have been a different driver, different set of passengers who are leaving work at, at, at that certain time and uh, getting on that bus and getting dropped back off Beckley, Zangs. We don't hear from any of those people either who rode with or drove the accused assassin of the president. So it's not out of the realm of possibility when you have no other facts to support your supposition that Oswald rode the bus to work. That Fraser, nice guy, Buell Frazier, would have said, hey man, You know, I can pick you up. It's no problem, Lee. You know, it's just boom, bang, bang. I'll come by and pick you up. Now, this is supported even by another living witness named Roy Lewis, who said Oswald rode with Frazier every day. He said they parked on Houston Street behind the depository where the road curves around and they would get out of their car and they would walk in the back entrance every day. And he's still alive. I played that audio on this show. In fact, I'll play it for you right now from the show, episode 100. Check it. Out. Here it is. That was my concept. And then he went he didn't went apart. And then didn't apart. right? That's, that's, right. right. Now, that's my concept. That's right. When I didn't see you, I can't say, because okay. I, I wouldn't have said it, but he put him out in the bag. He's always funny about it. Now, you said he only rode with him on weekend. He rode with him every day, Really, Monday through Friday. Really, mm-hmm. we didn't know that. And he would bring him, but he would hold it. He would let him out in the back door. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So he would let him out in the back together. There you have it, folks. Straight from the horse's mouth. He rode with them every day. What's up, everybody? Can't make it any simpler than that. That's a living witness's testimony. Now, I'm implying they knew each other better than what Frazier's let on. And the only person who would know the answer to this, the truth to this, is Frazier and Oswald. Oswald's dead. The only person that knows if Oswald brought a rifle to work that day is, is Frazier and Oswald. And Oswald's dead. So, we have to rely on Frazier. We have to rely on a scared 19-year-old kid who was being charged as an accessory to murdering the president, whether or not we believe what he had to say about that day and about Oswald. Now, I maintain, if Oswald had a package that it was three feet plus long and it was a rifle and Frazier knew it, because there was no two-foot package found, and there were no curtain rods found, end of discussion. Now, if Oswald did not have a package that day, and he just had his lunch, as he stated that he, that's all he had, at least according to the interrogation, then Fraser's lying. He's giving the police what they wanted. He's giving them a package, coming into the building. But he's not exactly snitching because he's not giving them a a length of a package that could have held a rifle. You know, maybe he, maybe there was a deal worked out where, okay, well, we won't charge you, but you got to give us Oswald bringing a package into that building. You know, we don't know what negotiations were going on that day. You know, and and by all accounts. Frazier never had a problem with Lee. You know, they seemed to get along. They seemed to be friends. Oswald was a somewhat likable guy who liked to talk about his family and his kids, and about what was going on with all that. And you know, there might have been some negotiations going on that day. Say, okay, well, if you don't want to be charged an accessory, you got to give us—you got to give us him bringing a rifle into the work that day but maybe Frazier didn't want to give him a rifle, but he said, I'll give you bringing him a package, but I don't know what was in the package, and it looked to be about two foot long. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, if Oswald had a package that day, then it was a rifle and a package and a three foot plus long package, like the one that was found inside the school book depository and brought out. Again, no two-foot package was ever found. No two-foot bag was ever found. No curtain rods were ever found. And the only person who ever said anything about curtain rods or a two-foot package is Frazier. Yet none of this stuff was ever found. But we do have a, a rifle in, in the building that we can associate with Lee Oswald. And we do have a three-foot-plus bag <laughs> in the in the depository um, that can be tied to the rifle and the blanket through fibers if you want to take it that far. Hence the problem, okay? This is why he, Fraser is the only person who knows the truth. And if he was scared back then and he lied back then, he needs to come clean because putting a, a rifle in Oswald's hands and him bringing it into the depository that day does not necessarily make Oswald the killer of the president, and I'll tell you why. That Carcano rifle, okay, at least as far as Lee Oswald knew back then, could not be traced back to him. At least he probably figured it never could be traced back to him. That rifle was actually ordered under the name of Alec J. Hydell. that was Alec Hydell's rifle. It wasn't Lee Oswald's rifle it was Alec Hydell's rifle. It was ordered from Klein's under the alias Alec Hydell now over the summer of sixty three Alec Hydell would be tied to the fictitious Fair Play for Cuba Committee chapter in New Orleans, a pro Castro-related outfit that Lee Oswald was handing leaflets out for, going on the radio for, going on the television, and bolstering, um, his, like a pro communist, pro Castro kind of slant, and the way that the United States was doing business with Cuba, and how you know we were treating Cuba. And so this was, this was the name and this was the persona of Alec Heidel, the man who actually owned and ordered the rifle. Lee Oswald's name was nowhere, nowhere to be found on the order slip. Um, so at the time, Okay. Hindsight's 2020, 20, but at the time, Oswald would have been under the impression that this rifle couldn't be traced to him, that it was this Pro Castro crazy guy, Alec Hidalgo's rifle, not Lee Oswald's. Now, if there was a conspiracy here, could it be possible that the conspirators told Lee Oswald hey look we're going to stage a shooting at Kennedy and it's going to look like it was done by a pro Castro supporter hopefully to incite Kennedy into actually doing something with these dangerous Russian loving commies Sixty miles off of our shore. Cause everybody knows what happens at the what happened at the Bay of Pigs. Kennedy didn't provide air support. Castro was still in power. Um, you know the Russians are our enemies. Communism is the devil. Communists are worst. And pinko loving commies. A lot of very, uh, what do you call them? Patriotic people back then were not a fan of Kennedy's supposed communist-loving tactics. But it wasn't so much that Kennedy loved communists as that he was a peaceful guy and was looking for peaceful res- resolutions to very serious problems, whether it be with Russia or Cuba. He always thought that there was a better way than just bombing them back to the Stone Age or, or killing them. And a lot of very patriotic people Weren't a fan of this method. Now, whether you want to say it was the Joint Chiefs or who this person or that person doesn't really matter. But what I'm saying is, Oswald could have been told, look, because personally, I think there's something that was going on in New Orleans the summer of '63, and it has to do with Guy Bannister and what he was stuff he was doing then. And making Oswald out to be this this uh you know this communist guy when he's he's really not, and um you know there's 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 something to this fair play for Cuba committee there's something to this Alec Hydell character that he created um and had false identification for and he, or the names that, that he ordered these guns under um so imagine this scenario for a minute, okay. JFK is shot at in Dealey Plaza, but not killed. In either scenario, either he's killed or he's not killed. If he's not killed in Dealey Plaza, and they find the weapon and they trace it back to this crazy pro-communist Alec Hardell, then they would think that Cuba might have had something to do with this and he would have done something about it. Or if Kennedy was killed, in Dealey Plaza, by a pro-Castro communist, that his his successor, LBJ, would have to do something about it. America would have to do something about it. Americans would be calling for blood, for killing their leader. And Oswald's only part in this was to bring a gun to work Throw some shells down on the floor, hide the rifle between some boxes, and go mill around the building. Now, I've had Bart Camp on this show and his great research, and I know we get into a lot of detail when we have Bart on the show, but to boil it all down for you real quick, there's a lot of evidence and testimony and interviews that put Oswald on the first floor of the School Book Depository at the time of the shooting. End of discussion. You know, there's even the supposition that he is prayer man who is standing in the shadows at the top of the steps near the vestibule of the building right after the shots. There's plenty of evidence that the second floor lunch encounter was crap, and even if it wasn't crap, all Oswald had to do after the assassination was simply go up the stairs and... In the in the in the lobby, from the first floor to the second floor, to get to the lunchroom. Now, this is supported by the fact, okay, that nobody, I mean, zero people, saw Oswald coming down the stairs from the sixth floor. He couldn't take in the elevator because the elevators weren't on the first floor. So he had to come down the steps. But nobody saw him. Now, one of the big problems that I don't hear the loan notes addressing is, of course, Victoria Adams' testimony. She testified that after the shots, her and her buddy, Sandra Stiles, came from the fourth floor of the school book depository to the stair- same staircase that Lee Oswald was alleged to have had to come down. Okay, Right after the shots, you have Victoria Adams and Sandra Stiles coming down the steps. They came down the steps before Truly and Baker allegedly came up them because they did not see Truly and a cop come up the steps. Now, one of their their boss, Dorothy Garner, followed them out to the fourth floor, landing of the steps, but she did not descend she was on the fourth floor landing when they, when they were leaving and going down. And she was still on the fourth floor landing when Baker and Truly came up the steps. She saw them. She never saw Oswald come down the steps. So we've got a big problem here. How can Oswald be, in, be on the sixth floor but yet nobody see him come down? There's one set of stairs and two elevators. And both elevators are up on the fifth floor. Because we actually know people were on the fifth floor at the time of the assassination. That's Bonnie Ray Williams, Harold Norman, and Junior Jarman. And we have pictures of them on the fifth floor at the time of the assassination. They, too, would have seen somebody coming down from the 6th floor you know, as they're going by the 5th floor landing. They didn't see anybody either. So unless Oswald was invisible that day, we cannot get him down from the 6th floor without being seen by somebody, anybody, in that building. So were any shots fired from that Carcano that day? We don't know because there were no tests done on the rifle to see if it had been recently fired. Could have been the shells placed on the ground, the rifle was hid, and the shots came from somewhere else, like the text from a similar angle or from a different floor or window entirely in the school depository. The only problem with anybody else shooting from the depository is that a lot of people were milling in and around that place that day and nobody saw anybody that wasn't an employee in there. Now, of course, you have two different factions of people working in the school depository. You have warehouse workers and you have publishing company executives who likely didn't intermingle a lot. So a lot of them wouldn't know the other. So if you had a warehouse employee who saw somebody in in a shirt and tie, well, they likely wouldn't know that it's not an employee. They would just figure it was a Scott Forsman, uh, you know, executive. And likewise, if if, if one of the uh, publishing company people saw somebody in there and, and some dungarees and a t-shirt, they would likely figure that it was probably a warehouse worker. You know, these people were a dime a dozen, truly, apparently, you know, hired these people all the time. He laid people off, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that somebody could have told Oswald, okay, we're going to have Hidel's rifle being found up in this building. Oswald didn't know at the time that people were hip to what he was doing that 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 he could be associated with this Hyde alias that he didn't he didn't realize that at the time because apparently the uh, Army Intelligence Division there in Texas had in his file him associated with the name of Alec Hydell because of the paperwork he was handing out and what he was doing in New Orleans that summer. So, but he didn't know that at the time. And having Hydell's identification in his wallet with his picture on it, it either could be construed as a dumb dumb maneuver or he might have figured that he would never be suspected of of being the assassin. You know, would things have been different if Oswald would have hung around the depository like all the other workers that day? You know, what if he didn't just leave? You know what if he would have hung around with all the other employees and acted dumb and acted like you know I don't know what happened what you know what could have happened what you know what could possibly have happened Tippett would have never been killed maybe um things might have went a, a lot differently you know and according to the way all this stuff is shaken out you know and you go into all the other various conspiracy theories of whether or not it was Tippett's job to Capture and kill Oswald Shortly after the assassination As he was walking back to his Rooming house You know we can argue about that um, But you know If he would have hung around The depository that day And played dumb like all the other co-workers And they found this rifle That was tied back to Alec Heidel This communist would suspicion have ever been thrown on him Don't know Could Oswald have not brought a rifle at all that day? Could somebody have easily opened Ruth Payne's garage door who knew that Oswald had this rifle there and stolen it out of her garage and planted it on the sixth floor? It's possible. You can't rule any of this stuff out. Somebody could have went there the night before, climbed up the fire escape, busted in the sixth floor window with a crowbar because the windows weren't locked. You know, all they would have had to do is jimmy the window open, sneak in there, throw some shells on the ground behind a bunch of boxes in front of the window that nobody would have seen, and then hide the rifle down in, in some boxes that nobody would have noticed until, you know, the building was searched and they thought the shots came from there and this, then the rifles found. Well, then the sniper's quote-unquote nest was found, and then everything got tied back to Oswald after that. Anything is possible, but the only person that knows whether or not Oswald brought a rifle to work that day is Buell Fraser. Period. And either Oswald brought a rifle in a bag and Fraser knew it, or Oswald didn't have a package at all. One or the other. There is no two-foot package. There's no curtain rods. That's a lie. That's a Buell Fraser confabulation. So either Buell, who was a hunter and a gun owner, who likely knew what a rifle and a bag looked like, he either knew that Oswald had a rifle or Oswald had no package whatsoever. Because we do know that a rifle bag, big enough to hold a rifle, not broken down, was found in the school book depository. And so was a Carcano. So Fraser is lying one way or the other. Period in the discussion, and only he knows the truth. Now, why I said I my a sucker for for punishment, I go back into this lone nut centric group, right, and I'm trying to tell these people, you know, look, I can give you the likelihood of Oswald bringing a rifle to work that day. You know, that's been one of the biggest hurdles, you know, to proving Oswald's guilt. For the past fifty four years you know i'm I'm telling them look Frazier and Oswald's co-workers are saying that he brought Oswald to work all the time every day, six or seven of them but that's not good enough for them. they want to see the documents they want they, do, they want to um, they want they want to hear the tapes and blah 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 well it doesn't exist on the internet anymore it, they can only find it at NAra so that's not good enough. Because they think that somebody could have uh, fabricated all of these transcripts um, from the HSCA collection. So, and then they, you know, they want catalog numbers, this, that, and the other. Well, some of this stuff it, for the HSCA collection at NARA is not cataloged like that. It's not. It just wasn't. It's not like the Warren Commission stuff. There was no. 26 volumes to the HSCA where they have everything, every interview that was ever done by every investigator that worked for the HSCA was never published and not made public. A lot of this stuff still resides in the National Archives that we haven't even seen yet. Or if any researcher has gone there, like Richard Gilbride, who was nice enough to upload the stuff to the Internet and do the transcripts, you know nobody would even know it it existed or it was there or it's available it it is you just have to go do the legwork but having i do have pieces of these documents i have pieces from Jarman i have pieces from Norman pieces from Shields who all said that I, that Fraser brought Oswald to work that morning now Shields in particular He worked at the other warehouse building over on State Street, the State Building, where Frazier parked his car that morning. And he said Frazier parked his car alone, and he asked him, where is his rider? Because apparently it was so well known to people that worked there that these two came to work all the time together. So this guy asked him, hey, man, where's your rider? To which Frazier replied, I dropped him off at the building. So if Frazier Likely knew that Oswald had a rifle and a package. And it was raining that morning. And he had to park a country mile away from the school book depository. Is it so hard to believe that nice guy Buell. Would have dropped Lee off at the building. Instead he confabulated this story where he had to park. And rev his battery up. And he had Oswald got out of the car and stuck a package under his arm. And he cupped it in his hand. And he walked in front of him all the way to the school book depository. Why would he lie about that? He would only lie about that if if he knew that Oswald had a rifle in a package and he drops him off at the building. So then they say, well, why, why didn't these guys say this stuff to the Warren Commission? Well, they weren't asked to. They weren't asked to write everything they knew that day they were asked certain questions by the Warren Commission staffers they were only asked to give brief statements or affidavits to the Dallas police and the FBI the Warren Commission asked certain questions and when they were done asking questions that was it you know it wasn't like they said okay if we missed anything do you have anything that that might be of interest to us or anything you want to say no it was just They asked him certain questions about certain things. And this stuff was never brought up at the time. You know, then they asked me, well, why didn't, why do we have this, why do we have this Frazier bite from from his interview that says, you know, I knew that he hit or had the rifle and then standing on them steps, I knew I didn't want to get sucked in. I thought, oh my God, you know, this, why would Frazier at that point have said the, the truth? I said, well, maybe it was because they had already interviewed all the other co-workers. And they all knew that they had said stuff other than what Frazier had been saying all these years. And that they were on the trail. Okay, They had already put together, by the time they talked to Frazier, they already knew. They could have said to Frazier, look, <laughs> we have got seven of your co-workers that are telling us that you brought that guy to work every day. Are they all lying or are you lying? You know, you calling call Billy Lovelady a liar? You calling Eddie Shields a liar? You calling Junior Jarman a liar? You calling Harold Norman a liar? You calling Roy Lewis a liar? You calling all these people liars? Or, you know, or are you the one lying? You know, why would this person say they saw you come to work and you didn't have anybody in the car with you and you said you dropped them off at the building that day? Because Frazier back then, he was putting off the HSCA investigators as long as possible. He was lawyered up and he was putting it off as long as possible. They could have easily, by the time they interviewed Fraser, said, look, we've talked to all these people. We know what we know what really happened. You need to you need to finally come clean and tell us the truth. <coughs> and maybe he finally said, Fine. You know, I knew he had a rifle that day. And as soon as the shots rang out, I'm standing on the steps, I said, oh, my God. You know, like it hit me like a, I know what happened. You know, oh, my God. You know, and that's all I know. That's all I know. And then we all know the direction that the HSCA was going. They were going in the direction of the mafia being behind the killing and it was at this time that a lot of these extraneous HSC and HSCA investigators were being shut down as in not funded anymore being called back things needed to be wrapped up and the report needed to be done the money was running out the funding was running out and uh you know a lot of these a lot of these lines of investigation got shut down rather quickly that People like Moriarty, Gaten Fonzi, and all these other investigators for the h s c a delsa um they were shut down, and things were taken in a different direction and focused on the mafia being behind the assassination. so there you have it. you know these audio tapes got thrown in a box, stuffed in the National Archives, and forgotten about until a researcher comes along and listens to him him and transcribes them for us and we get pieces of the truth coming out you know but in the meantime Frazier knows nobody has heard this stuff except the investigators so he can keep up and maintain his lie you know this stuff's locked away forgotten about so when the mock trial comes he maintains his lie you know every five years or so when the mainstream news does a piece on the assassination. They trot old Buell Frazier out to retell his story. You know, he tells the same thing. He says the same thing because nobody's going to refute him. So, that's the conundrum. You know, Buell Frazier's like a sacred cow in Dallas where nobody thinks he's this bad guy. And I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying he lied a long time ago and he's still telling the lie to this day. No matter how nice of a guy he is or has been or was or still is, which I'm sure he is, and I'm not saying he is not. Okay? But he is the only person that knows the truth about Oswald bringing a rifle to work that day. Excuse me. He's writing a book with Hugh Ainsworth and has been for the past couple years. Is the truth going to come out in that? I don't know. But what I'm calling for is this. Anytime anybody sees Buell Frazier, or he comes to a conference, I'm asking anybody out there to start asking this guy the hard questions. He needs to be confronted with the hard evidence that supports the fact that he's been lying all these years, and he needs to come clean. You know, we're all getting up there in age. He's only getting older. The truth needs to be known, and he's the only one that knows it for sure, one way or the other. He needs to be confronted with the fact that he's a hunter, he's a gun owner, and he would have known what a rifle and a package look like. And he's the only one that said anything about curtain rods. He's the only one that said anything about a two-foot package that was never found. No two-foot bags ever found. No curtain rods are ever found. He either knew it was a rifle or Oswald didn't have a package. It's as simple as that. There is no in-between. So one way or the other, he's been lying all these years. And it's understandable. I know why he did it. But the truth needs to come out now before later. Before it's too late. And before, like my buddy Jacob says, before history dies, we need to know the truth. This is your boy. Peace.